Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Laura Briggs of The Shortlist. So welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name's Laura and I started The Shortlist, which is a petite fashion brand that launched last year. And I suppose the most interesting thing about me is that I did it with absolutely no background in fashion or anything to do with clothing manufacture. So my journey's all been about how I've sort of got where I am and how I'm going to get the brand to success without having done this before. Yeah, yeah. And that's amazing. So um, without a background in the fashion industry, what brought you to starting a fashion brand? Oh, it's just one of those really strange, I feel like that lockdown bubble where, you know, the pandemic just put the world on its head. Um, Mm -hmm. It might have kind of led to this happening but I was working for myself in recruitment at the time I'd been in recruitment for six years and but I was really really unhappy I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do and I thought you know I had miserable miserable time with clients you know it wasn't a very friendly circle to work in and I just couldn't bear the thought of doing it for the next sort of rest of my career And I was sat in the park with my fiance on a lockdown lunch break. And I was talking about how difficult I uh, find it to get clothes on five foot one. Mm -hmm. And he thought I should start a fashion brand. And I think under different circumstances, were it not locked down and was I not so unhappy in my job, maybe it would have just been a throwaway comment. But I ended up deciding I'd just research it for a week and then make a decision And I just thought it was such a glaring omission in women's fashion that there just wasn't much of a petite offering. And I really thought I could make a good go of it. So yeah, that's how it started. And I suppose the rest is history. Yeah, that's like really brave of you to just kind of like jump in and do it. Um, Were were you, was there any like hesitation or like, I don't know if this is going to work or were you just like, you know what, I'm going to try it? I think, yeah, so I definitely knew that I wanted to try it and and things sort of happen gradually, you know, week by week, you're just go, you know, doing more research and I was sort of getting drawn further and further into it. But I think along the way, and still even now, you know, when you've got a fledgling business and you're not at the point where, you know, it's really financially successful and, you know, you've still got so many hurdles, there are always points at which you say, oh my goodness, am I doing the right thing? You know, will, will this ever work? And I think that's just the nature of, you know, being a bit of an entrepreneur and and starting up your own thing, but it's so exciting and you become so sort of attached to the brand and what you're doing. And I just think that's all part of the part of the adventure really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, So it sounds like you were, you were kind of in business for yourself before starting the short list, did that kind of give you the basis of like, here's what I need to do kind of on the business side of things to, uh, yeah, start the brand? Well, I think so, because I think that's, that's one of the biggest, most frightening steps is to go from Mm -hmm. employment to self-employed. So the fact that I'd already made that scary decision three years before starting the short list meant that that wasn't, that was a huge thing that I'd 
you know, already overcome that issue and that fear. Um, but yeah, it did give me a good grounding. I was very big on sort of personal branding in recruitment because mm-hmm. I recruitment's a horrible circle. And my way of working was very honest, very transparent very friendly, very personable. And so I'd done a lot of work on my recruitment brand. I had a website that didn't look anything like a normal recruitment website. I used to go on LinkedIn every week and do really personable updates. And so through doing that, I understood the importance of a brand to the success of a business. And then when I was setting up the shortlist, I started with the brand and knew that I had to get those fundamentals right before I even got on to creating collections and the rest of it so I think that was transformative in the way that I went about setting up the shortlist and I definitely noticed that Um, and that's one of the things I want to ask you more about is your brand the shortlist has such a defined like unique voice like I feel like it has its own personality and it has like it's very distinct like if I'm like scrolling Instagram and see something like I, I can tell by the visuals, but you know, the colors and even by like the, t- the tone of voice and the words that you use, if it's, you know, like a post with, with words instead of a photo that like, it's yours, it's the short list. Um, and so I'm curious, like what specifically were those things with the brand that you kind of set in place from the beginning and was kind of the tone of voice of the brand one of those or did that kind of like grow out of the other things that you worked on? So I started with yeah so thinking about what was important to me and what were the sort of brand values and brand mission and what was I setting out to do I did all of that first and then I started creating a personality for the brand and then I worked on you know how it was going to sound Um, I think I think what I, because I'm in my 30s and I felt like I'd got to this point in fashion where I'd outgrown fast fashion and you're sort of misguided and your boohoos and your top shop. And then I wasn't ready for sort of next and Bowden and all those things that felt like they were sort of more for women who were 40s and 50s. And so I was left with this glaring void of what do 30 somethings do? You know, they're smart, they're put together, they've got a bit more money, they know how they like to dress and there's nobody catering for them. How do I talk to a girl like that? And I thought, well, it's got to be a smart brand and I think it's got to have, you know, a bit of wit, um, a bit of sort of irreverent humour. It's got to be slightly self-deprecating. It's just got to be really relatable. And the mm-hmm. personality sprang from that. Um, I really enjoy copywriting. I've never done it. You know, I've got no professional experience in it, but I do like to write. And you can imagine that copywriting opportunities in recruitment mm-hmm. were pretty thin on the ground. So <laughs> it's been nice to sort of, yeah, exercise a bit of creativity. But then I went to a branding agency to do all the visuals for me. And my brief for them was that I wanted... I wanted to be, I feel like all brands these days are sort of black and white and I wanted to be different. I wanted to stand out. And what you say about the colors is, you know, they, they really suit the brand, you know, they're fun, but they're also quite chic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I still, they came up with some fun shapes for me and, you know, that I can always do something, you know, on Instagram that's immediately recognizable, but it's also really fun and I'm able to use it in my packaging and, yeah, it's not, it's nice to be recognizable. 
Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. So so you went to a branding agency for that. Um, Were there other things that you did to kind of like start the business before you even um, started your collections and the designs? Yes, I did everything. I basically, (laughs) when, when my fiance said to me, I think you should start a fashion brand. And I went away and researched it. I didn't have the first clue I didn't even know how clothing was made. It was that much of a, I, you know, was really sort of working from nothing. So the way I went around it was by writing down a list of everything that I'd have to do. And, and throughout my research, I'd find more and more steps. And I put together sort of a Gantt chart in Excel of everything I'd have to do in order and sort of the weeks that it would take to do each one and um, sort of working all the way up to a launch. And I just tackled them one by one. And every time I'd find something new, I'd add it in. But it's just, you know, everything from setting up the company and, you know, the company accounts and all the sort of administrative side of things to finding a designer, finding someone I was going to manufacture with, finding out how the manufacturing process worked. All of that stuff I did alongside my recruitment work for about seven months before quitting officially and sort of launching my Instagram account and going, if you like, inverted commas, live with the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I had to get all of that stuff figured out before I could even start ma- making the business feel official to the public, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like you're, you're a super organized like planner and kind of got laid it all out. <laughs> Um, that's amazing. I'm also a big fan of spreadsheets. And, um, I don't know. What I, I don't know what I would do without them. Sometimes it's just like it's your anchor when there's so much going on. You know, it can mm-hmm. be overwhelming. Yeah, it's like get it out of your head and put it somewhere so keep track of what you're doing. Yeah. So were there kind of like go to places? You, you mentioned you did a lot of research and and found like, oh, here's another step I need to do. What were were there any like particular places that were super helpful in helping you like figure out what those steps were I went everywhere it's just a to be honest a google deep dive and every so often I get somebody in my dms on instagram asking me questions and wanting to set up their own fashion brand Mm. and the, the thing is there are no shortcuts there's no lovely directory anywhere about you know who you could manufacture with um there's no one anywhere sort of giving a step-by-step guide on how to set up a fashion brand you know you could pay a consultant to work with you but I knew that I could do it myself if I just was able to apply myself and so it's just everything's out there on Google you just have to go looking for it and it was just time and you know I, I looked at everything from sort of the number of women in the UK who were five foot four and under and how many of them were in sort of the age bracket that I was looking at and how many other petite brands there were and what were the um, you know emissions in their ranges it's really sort of just having all the information you could possibly need to then decide how you're going to go about doing something but the sad thing is there there isn't a manual anywhere for doing it. It is sort of figuring it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And every brand is different. Um, so it's not like one size fits all. Like even if there was, you know, there are like partial directories of, you know, factories and stuff. But, you know, every brand's needs are, are a little different too. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, the one thing that I will say is it's so rewarding, you know, to look back and say, I did all of that stuff myself rather than I went to somebody who's done it for themselves and asked them if they can tell me how they did it. I just think if you want to set up a business, this is the sort of thing that you've got to thrive on because I often find this even now there are so many things that I come to that I have no experience in and I don't have a business partner I don't have anybody else who you know for whom this is their job it's Mm -hmm. all on you and I think if you don't like doing that then you have to question whether starting a business is right for you because you do sometimes just have to get your hands dirty and and figure out for yourself Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's definitely you wear many hats. So when you're an entrepreneur and then if you, if, you know, as the brand grows, then you might be able to or, you know, have the desire to have employees or work with other people to pass some things off. But definitely at the beginning, it's, you know, wear all the hats and, and figure it out and, and learn as you go. Um, yeah. So you mentioned you work with a designer. So once you kind of had the foundation of the business set up and it sounds like you did a lot of even market research and looking at how many people were in your target market range and age bracket and everything, how did you get connected to the designer and what kind of was that process look, look like once you actually started the collections? Well, I had an, an original designer back in, I guess, summer 2020 who I got, I got to a finished lineup with and then went, what, what, what am I thinking? This is awful. I, I hate her designs. I don't feel any connection at all. And I, so yeah, so I completely scrapped that collection, but that was really hard early on because I was only about three or four months in and it felt like such mm-hmm. a blow. So I ended up going with a designer that I'd found earlier that I thought had been a bit too expensive, but actually it ended up, you know, you were getting what you paid for. Mm. Um, so I redid the collection from scratch with her. And then I only worked with her on the first collection because, again, I, I didn't find, I think once I'd done a whole collection with her, I didn't find that I loved the way that she'd worked, even though the designs had ended up being really successful. So I went on, I can't remember what it was, one of these sites where you can find freelancers. And I Mm -hmm. sent messages to a few people and one of them came back to me and he was absolutely great. And we just hit off and it was just that sort of stroke of good luck that, you know, he ended up being a really good match for me. He's here in the UK um, and he's done all of my collections since. And I just think it's so nice to find somebody that you click with and then Mm -hmm. stick with them because it just, you end up getting a really good relationship. They know what you like. You find a really slick way of working together. Um, But yeah, for me, it was definitely trial and error. I don't want anyone to think that I've sort of sailed through this, not not by a long shot. And that can be tricky to set up find your find your people and vendors and you know designer whoever you're working with it does take time sometimes to get that set up and find the right person so how did you know that like how did you know that the first couple designers maybe weren't a good fit for you and then how did you know when this most recent designer um like how did you know like he was the right one for the brand and a good fit so, well, this this is probably the best advice I'd say about anything, because I think it applies to manufacturing as well. Um, 
it's all about communication, you know, the same way as you'd find with somebody that you were meeting socially, for example, you find whether mm-hmm. you click with someone. And I think I would love to, to be a designer. I think it's amazing when people have fashion brands and they do all the designing themselves, but that's not a skill that I have. And so it was so important that they were able to translate my ideas and put their design spin on it. So you're trying to work with somebody in a very collaborative way. And I, for example, I don't have the design lingo. So it's somebody that can understand the sort of roundabout way that I'm sort of describing the dresses that I'm looking for and the sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. And they can they can bring their sort of technical knowledge. And between us, we create something that's, you know, my imagination and their skill. Um, and I think somebody that you find very easy to talk to um, and they, you know, what they come up with is representative of what you were trying to get across to them. I think that's that's where things were falling down with my first designer. You know, she just that communication just just didn't work. But you, mm-hmm. you get to know that very quickly. It's not something that you, you know, you have to get really far down the road with with somebody and then realize, gosh, it's, it's just not working. That was my experience, I think. Yeah, communication is so important and making sure that you're on the same page with things and kind of working towards the same, like understand what the goal is so you can be working towards the same thing together. Exactly. Um, yeah, so true. Um, so yeah, what did you bring, like when you met with your designer um, in, you know, in, in developing any of the collections like what would you kind of bring to the meeting to discuss like did you have kind of in mind I want you know something with this vibe or I'm looking for like three dresses or um yeah what did what did you kind of first bring to the designers so that they could put together sketches for you well, see this, this, and again, this was my first collection. Everything was so cobbled together because I genuinely didn't know. I put together boards of dresses that I liked the idea of, but I didn't have the commercial knowledge and the construction knowledge of garments to know what was going to translate well when we tried to create it for my range and for my price point. Mm. Um, but it's, it, it's so I've got much better at that. And now I also have knowledge of what my customers particularly love, which shapes, which fabrics, you know, whether they're looking for sort of day or evening wear, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So that really shapes all of my collections now. But in the beginning, it was just bringing examples of pictures of pieces that I liked. And I still do that now. I compile boards of these are the, you know, these are examples of the type of sleeve that I want to feature in this collection. Um, And I tend to, I find it useful to say I want um, a a transitional dress that's sort of something that you could wear um, to say a wedding, but you could also wear it out in the evening. Um, And Mm -hmm. then say, I want a, you know, a summer, a summer sort of mini dress. I sort of label them so that I can get it clear in my head what we're trying, that we're covering all the bases that I'm looking to cover in one Mm -hmm. single collection. Because then I think it, it seems a bit more cohesive and it's a bit more of a logical way to say, am I giving my customers everything that they're looking for in this collection? And I think when you do, like me, just two collections a year, it's important to think about it in a slightly more strategic way like that. 
So cool. And yeah, reference voters are always great. I, you know, whenever I'm working with somebody to like make sure we're on the same page, it's, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, they say. So that's like, it. Yeah, totally. Especially that. when you don't, you don't have the lingo like I, I don't. It's just mm-hmm. you can say, look at this sleeve or look at this neckline. It's it's just much easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, have you heard of um a company called Fashionary? They make well, they're kind of like a fashion education company, but they have one book. It's kind of like a fashion, like visual dictionaries of different styles and designs that I have found like super useful for this kind of like communication where like you you don't necessarily have the word for it because there's like little sketches of like, here's all the different types of collars and what they're called. And so you can kind of like look through a library of different design elements. Oh, I love that. That's exactly, yeah, that, that's exactly the kind of reference book that I need. Do you say it was called Fashionary? Fashionary is the name of the company. I'm trying to remember the name of the actual book here. Fashionpedia. That's what it is. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. I have to have a look at that because you're, you're right. There are so there's so many nuances as well in things like necklines and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. That would be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So you do uh, two collections a year, you said, and um, so you uh, have you done three collections then? Because you said you launched last year. Yeah, I saw Well, last year I actually did three collections and I just found out it was too, it was just too much just for one person. Um, and I was kind of feeling my way. So I did my first launch was in June. I did a mini transitional launch in August and then I did my autumn winter collection in November. Um, oh, wow. But this year I'm just going to do spring, summer, autumn, winter. So I think April and October launches. Nice. Um so with the, yeah, you, you decided kind of the timing was too close together or like what made you decide that there were, that three was too many? I think it's just knowing how much work goes into each collection. I think when you're spending a lot and a lot of money and a lot of time on fitting sessions and creating pieces that are really beautiful and classic and sort of I call them sort of keep forever pieces Mm -hmm. then I think you need to do them justice and I think doing two collections a year allows me as well to work out what is doing really well I have time to restock things I can bring them out in new prints or colorways and it just means less sort of scrabbling around and launches are very time intensive to try and do and I think doing it this way is just going to be much easier to to handle and, and to do everything justice, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think I remember you kind of with those collections last year, you kind of experimented with different, with pre-sales or not pre-sales. Um, is that, that's correct, right? Yeah, that's right. I did a pre-order for the transitional launch in the middle. Gotcha. So what were, um, Wait, what did you kind of learn from those different ways of selling and um, why did you decide to like try different ones, I guess? So, so I've learned not to do pre-orders, <laughs> I'd say. I tried it because it was so difficult at the beginning, especially because I, I gained so many followers quicker than I expected, but then my prices were higher than people had expected. So I think it just created this situation where I just didn't know how much demand there was. And I'd heard a lot about, you know, start very small. You don't want to have loads of stock that you can't shift. Mm -hmm. So I 
started really small with my first collection. I think I was only made 10 of each piece and then they sold out really quickly. And then I didn't know how much more to buy. So I decided to do a pre-order. Um, and I just found, you know, it's just not a slick enough operation. I think if you're a big retailer, you have a lot more clout. But, you know, there were certain delays. And I think, you know, Brexit and the lockdown, everything was slowing up supply of things. So mm-hmm. I just hated having taken people's money and then saying, you'll have your piece by this date. And then sort of three weeks later, they were getting it. I really didn't like working that way. Um and I know that it's not a normal way to do business either um, in you know, fashion retail. So I really wanted to get back to a point where if somebody made an order, I was able to ship it straight out for them. And it's just, it, you know, it is frightening sort of having to work out how much stock to get. But I think I think it's a transition that you have to make at some point. And uh, and yeah, I've got more information on the numbers now, but you, you're always feeling your way. It's always a bit of risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. That's super interesting that and throughout everything you said so far, I feel like you're you're very good about just like, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna experiment with this. We'll we'll learn from it and like like go forward, which is amazing because that that's something where it's like entrepreneurship is a lot about that. So um, well, the one the one thing I will say that Alison is you know, I can talk about it, you know, like it this now but it does not to say there aren't a lot of tears like it's so emotionally draining this kind Mm. of thing and there are so many things that come unexpectedly and you know they can hit you really hard especially when you know you have so many hopes and expectations when you start a business and there are lots of things waiting to sort of kick you in the backside so Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it seem like I've breezed through this I'm just you know it's it's helpful to sort of explain the things that have gone wrong for me and yeah you do just have to work your way every time something happens you just have to you have to figure out what you're going to do at that time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I'm curious uh with that like how is your fashion entrepreneurship maybe different than you expected it to be at the beginning it's just so much harder I mean I definitely didn't sign up for this I didn't for you know it to be a quick win or, you know, to make, you know, to get rich quick, aren't any of that stuff, but it's, it's so much harder than I thought it would be. It's, the problems are so big, and they're often so frightening. And you really are, you know, well, in my case, I really am doing this on my own. And I don't have anyone around me who necessarily knows the answers It is really sort of Mm -hmm. figuring things out as you go along. And I just, I I look back and I just think it's been so difficult, but I think, I think that the shortlist is going to be really successful. You know, there's so much that's been fabulous about it. And although it's been very difficult for me, I think that it's all part of the journey and it is just making it so rewarding. I, I can imagine if, you know, in a couple of years time, things are like, you know, really taken off that I'll look back and all of this period will make that so feel so much better if you see mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of looking at the big picture, like long-term vision of it and and that makes it worth it. But yeah, it's hard in the meantime. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like with the big picture and like thinking about what it what it could be like, 
I also want to ask about the designs itself and kind of like the the look of your pieces and in kind of starting at the beginning like what were some of the things that you had noticed with petite fashion that you wanted to change with the shortlist? Oh petite fashion is so thin on the ground and I don't understand why because I think most women are relatively short some silly statistic like 45% of women in the UK are five foot four or shorter. Um, mm. But the main thing, when I was had this original complaining session to my fiance, I was had noticed that there were so many boutiques springing up, sort of independent fashion, so much more than I'd ever seen before. But they're all for sort of girls who are, you know, at, I want to put average height, sort of five, six or whatever. And mm-hmm. when you're five, one, you, you just can't wear those things, particularly dresses, you know, you'd have to get them tailored. And so when I set up my brand, I wanted to be more boutique. You know, if you go on ASOS, they've got a petite section and they've normally taken, you know, the basic things from the main collection and made them in a petite version. Mm-hmm. But I don't want that when you're, you know, you enjoy fashion, you want things that are just for you and that feel really special and that aren't just sort of knockoffs of, you know, the main collection stuff. So I design all of my pieces with the aim to make the, the wearer feel really special, you know, to have a limited edition piece that looks gorgeous, is all about flattering shorter figures and is just a bit of fun, really. Yeah, that's amazing. So were there um, particular things with the fit? Like you mentioned, dresses are too long and were there other kind of like frustrations other than, yeah, the length and the kind of lack of stylish options, you know, for petites that you notice? Yeah, I think it's everything. There's so much more to it than just because I I sometimes get things altered. I think jeans and coats and jackets and things. But mm-hmm. the thing that isn't great about that is that it's everything that needs to move. So you need waists to move. You know, shoulders are often too broad, for example. Um, and it's making sure that everything's really nicely in proportion. So I'm actually the fitting model for all the pieces. Um, oh, nice. Which is, yeah, which is really nice. And then I have my sister try them on as well because we're the same dress size, but she's much more evenly proportioned and I'm a bit curvier. So, for example, I'm a size bigger on the bottom half and I've got relatively big boobs for my frame. So in that way, I'm able to make sure that they are a really nice fit on sort of, you know, uh, sort of different body shapes. Yeah, exactly. And I, you can't do it all. You know, I've had, I had a really horrible point before I launched about how, you know, women with really big boobs couldn't wear my pieces. And I just thought the thing is you can't do it all. And I'm, I'm releasing about six pieces per collection at the moment, and I'm focusing on getting really beautiful fits, but at the moment I don't have the capacity to do every type of figure and I hope that will come in time but the feedback that I've had from women so far is that things fit like an absolute dream and just to buy something and not have to think about taking it up and you know your skirt just looks like it was made for you that's Mm -hmm. the sort of thing that makes it really really rewarding. Yeah I totally get it that's one of my favorite things too about working in fashion is like the moment when you know, the customer or fit model like tries on the finished piece and it's like, man, I look amazing in this. And just like seeing their face light up is so rewarding for sure. It, it, it sounds like such a, you know, such a cliche, but it's a pinch me moment. Just, you know, when I get photos of, you know, women wearing my pieces and 
I just find it mad, you know, pictures of women who've gone on holiday and they've, you know, taken their new skirt with them and they just feel amazing. I just, oh, it just, it's, yeah, I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. So what was kind of the development process like, you know, to get the fit right, to get the the sizing right um, after you had decided on the designs with your designer? Just lots of fitting sessions. So with my first collection, I was working with a local seamstress here in Bristol. And so she's only a 10 minute walk away. And so every week Mm -hmm. I was going for a fitting session, we were, you know, doing more fittings and then she was doing alterations and then fit them again. And that would happen over the course of several weeks. It's getting Mm -hmm. slightly easier now because I know more about the sort of cuts and the shapes that, you know, seem to work best on most people and Mm -hmm. things that aren't working. Um, You know, for example, I recently changed a skirt that previously had a zip to to now having an elasticated waistband because I've learned a bit more about, you know, what my customers like. Um, But it's it's getting easier because we've got what's called a block now, like so Mm -hmm. that we know what sort of the the sizes that work. And yeah, it seems seems to be working really well now the fit but yeah you've you've got to spend that time at the beginning just to sort of know know what's going to work on your customers you mentioned like getting feedback from your customers now and having kind of like the data to go off of that um is that something that you just kind of like track with you know sales and returns or do you have um kind of processes in place to get more you know feedback from your customers like hear from them more often so i basically log the reason for any returns and then I can see against different pieces which ones were a trickier fit and whether there are any patterns that came up with things for example you know is it the waist is it the hip is it the bust um and things mm-hmm. like you know are the straps at the right are they too wide or are they too narrow and all that sort of thing so I can tell whether it's worth bringing things back or whether I need to make changes um and that's that's made such a difference because you can see with each collection I'm sort of finessing the shapes and so forth and it's it's been really helpful to sort of reduce returns mm-hmm. I think when somebody's spending a lot of money on a, a beautiful dress you really want the fit to be perfect yeah it's like you want the expectations like your customers expectations to match what they're getting when they take it out of the box yeah, they're just that much higher, the expectations, when they're spending a lot of money, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with pricing, I know that's like something that's always kind of a trick, especially for new brands. Um, what has your experience been like and around pricing? And, so, you know, like finding the right price and making sure it's, you know, a fair price for you and the customer. Well, I went into it completely naive and just didn't really understand the cost of making things here in the UK and it ended up being a bit of a shock. I was hoping for all my pieces to be between 100 and 200 pounds, but some of them were creeping up and some of them are being, you know, around the 300 pound mark. And I don't like them being there. When I originally launched my, I made my prices public before the first launch, I got a huge backlash. I actually didn't get that many people unfollow me, but there was it really kicked off in the comments under this post. And I had so many people sticking up for me because they just said, this is, you know, this is because we're used to fast fashion. And, you know, if you want your pieces to be made by somebody who's fairly paid and in good working conditions, 
this is the price, this is the realistic price that you pay. So since then, it's been great. The people who buy my pieces think that they are absolutely worth the money, which I think is huge for proof of concept. That's amazing. But in the meantime, I am working on bringing my prices down. I want them to be premium because they are premium and, and that's what I really enjoy doing. But a more manageable premium where, you know, somebody could justify for a, you know, a special occasion or for something that they were going to wear often that they could afford the price tag. So I'm aiming to get back into that 100 to 200 price bracket. And, um, and I'm hoping to be able to do that this year. I'm just curious, how do you plan on like doing that while keeping it premium? Like are you going to keep the design simpler or, you know, make the manufacturing more efficient? Because I think there's like multiple ways to go about like pricing and managing costs. Um, And it it always is a little bit of a balancing act of like you want it to be nice and you want it to be beautiful and you want it to be cheap, but it's hard to like juggle all those three. Absolutely. Now, I have been working more, you know, sort of collaboratively with my manufacturer to look at ways that we can reduce the manufacturing costs whilst not losing the premium feel for the customer. There are certain, obviously, you'll know this, like finishes and things that, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, you know, they're they're the difference between something being at the absolute gold standard that it possibly could be and something just still being really nicely finished, but it just cuts that cost a bit more and finding Mm -hmm. a bit of a balance because I do want all the pieces to be gorgeous. And I think that's the thing that people comment on most. They see these things in the flesh and they just look absolutely stunning. Um, But also I'm working, I've started advertising recently. So I'm increasing my customer base to be able to make more pieces and bring down my costs by making more of them. Um, Mm -hmm. so that is part of, it's all part of a big plan where I've got lots of different little things that should all have sort of a great, greater overall effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those are both great things of being able to kind of make use of the efficiency of scale, you know, the leverage, you know, making more at, at a cheaper price once you have more customers and then. Yeah, exactly. And I love that you you talk to your factory about that because that's something I always recommend to my clients is like your factory is amazing and they do this all day, every day and they know like, you know, what finishes will still look really nice for that fabric and for that design, but might be a little like go through the line a little bit quicker. And so, you know, save you some of that cost. So I love that you're doing that. Oh, right. (laughs) and your pieces are very premium like I know they have like some of them are lined and you also develop custom prints as well right yeah because I I have a real thing for prints and I just I I just think there's so there's such a fine line between a print that looks cheap or very sort of off the peg and one that just looks really really gorgeous and I think to put your true sort of original stamp on things you have to have your own original prints and I find them really really fun to develop in line with a designer and I often have very strong ideas about what I want the prints to look like but I do a mixture of printed and plain pieces because I find that my customers are really split down the middle with with which they prefer some people go absolutely mad for prints and other people like more conservative plainer more classic pieces so it's nice to do both Mm mm-hmm yeah, and they're really pretty. I think my favorite one from your most recent collection is the, I forget the name of the dress, but it's the green satin one with kind of like the white brush strokes. 
Um, yeah, sort of a very abstract print. Mm-hmm. I love an abstract print. Mm-hmm. Something that feels modern, like it's not going to sort of, be, you know, go out of fashion really easily, but it's also quite bold. Yeah, yeah. And I, I get the impression from just kind of like following you on social media and you share a little bit about kind of like the process behind each collection, that color is very important to you too. So what is your what is your kind of like approach to color and how do you decide like the palette for your prints and each collection? Color has been such a steep learning curve. Um, yeah, I do all the swatching to get the perfect shades for my prints. So when I'm sourcing fabrics in plain colors, it's it's very easy to see. But when you're doing prints, the color that you have in your mind can often be quite difficult to transfer to the fabric and each fabric shows up color in a different way. So you can design a beautiful print on screen, your lovely tile that looks great. And then you print it out and that color looks couldn't be further from what you had envisaged. Um, So yeah, I've got really good at sort of color swatching, but I just, I think I love it so much because I think that you could have, you know, five shades of sort of pale yellow and only one of them will be just right. And I think it makes all the difference, you know, getting that lovely shade of emerald green for the Ines dress that you were talking about. I went, I must've gone through, I wanna say 50 different shades of green. And you just know when you see the one that's going to look flattering on lots of different skin tones, that's Mm -hmm. going to look chic, but it's gonna be bold. Um, I'm doing some yellows at the moment for the next collection. And you want to find something that's, you know, not too bright, not too garish, not too sort of soft and pastely. It's got to have that really sort of, you know, buttery, summery sort of feel about it. And I just, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I obsess over those because I think it's the only way to really do your prints justice. Yeah, and color makes a big difference with, you know, like you said, with different skin tones and kind of making, like bringing out your complexion nicely and then showing off the prints nicely, as well as even, you know, color affects your mood and like how you feel too. Um, It does. I just, I, I, I think that, you know, I always go for those shades that aren't, say I was looking for a blue I wouldn't want a blue that was just a true flat blue I'd want a a blue with like an edge of something the kind the kind of colors that some you know you'd walk in wearing that dress and you would say oh I love the color of your dress like as in Mm -hmm. I don't see that shade of blue that exact shade of blue very often and I think that's I think where I find the joy in the color work because when you get that eureka moment you found that shade you know that that piece is just going to sing Mm mm-hmm I've been uh, working with my sister on picking out colors for her um, bridesmaids dresses for her wedding. And oh, no, what shade is she going for? Um, well, it's been a, it's been a bit of a um, a bit of a journey because uh, her fiance has this like really dark teal suit that he's going to wear, but it's it's not like it's it's navy but it's not navy and it's not like emerald green it's like halfway between navy and green so it like doesn't exist so originally we've been trying to like find colors just like you said like just the perfect shade and it's a stunning color because you know just like you said it's not a color you see all the time and it just looks really good with everything or you know like it it, with everybody's skin tone but it is so hard to try to find colors to match. So I think we we finally decided on the perfect, like kind of like dusty blue that also has a little green in it. So it's kind of like sure. a lighter variation. And then, I love that. 
In my head, that looks stunning. The combination of him in the darker suit and then the bridesmaids in sort of a similar tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we finally found just the right blue, like you were saying, where, but it's like not a color you see all the time. So we got a, we, we we got a lot of swatches in order to find the right one. I Um, love that. mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, color, color can be tricky, but it's also super cool when you like find the perfect shade and you're like, that's it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've torn my hair out over colors. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about it now. Like it's an absolute joy. It can be a nightmare, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. brilliant when it all works out. Yeah. Finding the color is, is not fun, but once you found it, then it's fun. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm curious, like, what has been the biggest challenge so far in running the shortlist? God, to pick just one, that's so difficult. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are loads of standout sort of big big hurdles that came up of, of, of things that I really struggled with, with manufacture and with the sort of the learning curve. But I always come back to the hardest thing, honestly, is the loneliness. You can feel very alone on your raft. And like I said before, there's just no, there's no one person, you know, um, you know, I can speak to my partner, you know, if I've had a rough day, so occasionally I'll speak to my parents about stuff, but really nobody has this kind of advice. And a lot of the time it's just down to you. How do you want to do things? You know, it's taking your best guess. And it's it's just frightening a lot of the time, you know, because I talk about wanting to grow the shortlist because I know there are so many skilled people who'd be better at all the jobs that at the moment I'm just sort of cobbling through doing myself. Um, mm. But that's that's the way it's got to be. But I think that's the hardest thing, you know, thinking, am I doing this right? Should I be doing it differently? And just sort of having to trust your gut and, and go with your best guess. So do you have like any sort of you mentioned your your partner and your parents um, that, you know, li- listen to you and try to give you advice. Do you have like any other like support network that are other entrepreneurs that you talk that you're able to talk to? It's really funny when I first when I my Instagram first sort of um, sort of blew up after my um LinkedIn post I had a girl contact me who said I've got this little group with two other girls and we all have product businesses and would you like to come and chat with us um we do it every sort of every fortnight and so yeah every fortnight I have a call with these other three girls and we've all got a product business but they're all different so there's no sort of mm-hmm. competition um but we all find that we experience the same things where it's issues with you know delivery options or whether it's fulfillment or whether it's just sort of the day-to-day sort of stress and pressure of running a business but just I almost always feel so much better after those calls and you realize that every experience that you're having is you know not yours alone everybody else is feeling the same thing and I think there's such camaraderie in that mm-hmm. yeah I do the same with some other um, fashion freelancers where once a month we'll get together on zoom and we're kind of like all over um, spread out and but we get together and we we just like talk about business and rant about you know something that's frustrating if we need to and be like am I crazy or am I doing this right and yeah it's it's really helpful to have that oh isn't it therapy I just feel Mm -hmm. I feel light as air after these calls I tell you Mm -hmm. yeah it's so great to have that to surround yourself with um so on the flip side uh what are you most proud of so far with the business do you know what I just 
I sometimes I just can't believe I've done it. I can't believe that I don't ever have to send somebody an email on LinkedIn again about a job <laughs> um, or, you know, speak to a miserable old accountant. I used to work with accountants and they're all middle-aged grumpy men. <laughs> and I just think, and somehow I've created a job from nothing. You know, everything that mm-hmm. I do, you know, I'm, I have really busy weeks and I have lots of different sort of tasks and I juggle everything. And I think a couple of years ago, I didn't even know how clothes were made. And now I'm sitting here in a sort of living, breathing job, it mm-hmm. feels like. And I think I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. Somehow I did that myself and it's, you know, it's been hard work, but I've created you know, I've created the sort of the life that I want to I want to live, albeit not with a salary yet, but you know, <laughs> that'll come later this year. So yeah, I'd say that's probably what I'm most proud of. Yeah. And congrats. That's like a huge thing. And I know the feeling of be like, I, I created this job and I get to do what I like. And it's so amazing. Yeah. To be able to do that, have the opportunity, um, kind of sit there, you know, even even though it's hard entrepreneurship takes a lot of work but to just yeah the satisfaction and kind of the the rewarding it's so rewarding to be able to think about that and say like I'm actually doing it you know oh Um, yeah absolutely yeah mm -hmm. I'm yeah I I I don't I don't give myself enough credit a lot of the time I think there's always something there's always a new problem what is it they say new level new devil you know there's always something Mm -hmm. to worry about sometimes you've just got to look back to think, you know, where were you a year ago? Um, I actually started to remind me, I actually started um, last year, I wrote myself a letter, like a, a you know, about the business, like in September, as like mm-hmm. a Word document, I read, wrote a page to myself about what I was worried about, what was going on in business at the moment, just sort of a snapshot of where I was. And then I've got a note in my diary. And on the same date this year, I'll read that letter and write another one to myself next year. And I just find that that's a way that you can you can forget how far you've come. So I think mm-hmm. it's always good to remind yourself because there's otherwise you can just always focus on what's still to be done. Yeah. And it's like the more, you know, the more you realize there's more that you don't know. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> yeah. So, yeah, being able to look back and be like, wow, I accomplished a lot in the last year. That's that's exactly. a super cool idea. I might have to try that, <laughs> you know, writing the letter and then reading it a year later. Um, that's so fun. Um, so I have one last question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Oh, having fun. Like fashion, it all boils down to having fun, whether that means feeling amazing or looking amazing. And I think that, you know, any petite women who are listening know what a headache shopping for clothes can be. So if there's the mm-hmm. one thing I want to do, it's to make clothing fun again. Um, I think I think that's the most important thing for me. I love that. And I'm also petite, I'm five two. So <laughs> I, I get the struggle. Do you, do you feel the struggle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do. And and also, yeah, petite. And then you're like, should I shop in the kids section? But then I don't want to wear like glitter and all this kind of, you know, like I want to dress my age, but I'm small. So I need small, but my age, that's the hardest part. Exactly. And let's, mm-hmm. this, this is the thing, like petite women, you know, you have, you have, a, you still have a woman's body, you know, you're not, you're mm-hmm. not shaped like a child. And exactly. I, you know, I don't want the indignity of having to go to the gap kids section. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. Well, it's so fun. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Laura. Um, it has been really cool to get to hear more of your story and your entrepreneurship journey and about the shortlist. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, where can people find out more about the shortlist online? So I'm at shop the shortlist on Instagram and I'm shoptheshortlist.co.uk if you want to visit the website. Awesome. I will include links, all that in the show notes. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.